On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fans. Picture it. There is a man who was in a pretty successful comedy sketch troupe where he was both an actor and a writer who reads a novel, The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. A portion of this particular book encourages women to listen to their inner subconscious alarm system around indicators that men give off. The man knew that women and men had different interactions with strangers, but reading this really resonated with him. He decided to write a scene with as many red flags that a man wouldn't think twice about, but he believed every woman would recognize. It wasn't long until that scene became a screenplay. The screenplay, falling into the right hands, became a movie. It would have many inspirations from Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell, Psycho, Get Out, but its biggest spiritual ancestor would be Takeshi Miike's Audition, another movie SNHGG fan knows that the man would go on to say has the same subversive structure and it's about sexual aggression and male privilege. The man we keep referring to? Zach Krieger. The movie, his technically directorial debut and the sleeper horror hit of 2022, Barbarian, now streaming on HBO Max. So please, for the love of anything, trust your instincts and don't go down that deep, dark tunnel. This is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. Hi, this is Katie. Hi there, I'm Brittany. And the reason I said technical is because this actually is his second directorial movie. I remember he wrote the screenplay for Miss March. Did he direct it too? He co-directed it, but I don't think okay. he wants anyone to know that. Okay, watched, so that's what it was. I watched Red Letter. Red Letter Media literally came out with a review today, the day we're filming this. And I had already written all my review points. Usually I wait to watch other people's reviews until we've reviewed a movie. But I was like, I've already written my stuff down. So I'll just take a peek. I'll take a gander. And they pointed that out. And I was like, oh, so he's just trying to... Apparently, Miss March wasn't a big hit. So... And he co-directed it. So maybe this is his first solo directorial debut. But yes, we're covering Barbarian this week. Ooh. Yeah. And we were supposed to have our editor, Ryan, on. But he unfortunately lost his voice because, as you can probably hear from my voice and maybe Britt's, the weather keeps changing in Alabama. It's finally cold, but it just did that overnight. So everybody's sinuses are attacking them. Uh, he will be checking in at the end of the podcast, though, for some movie, moody movie notes. Because he took some really good notes on it. And I read them and I was like, ooh, so... And Britt read them too. And we were like, do you want to just read them when your voice is better and then just add it in? So you will be hearing from Ryan this episode. So yay. 
How are you, Brett? Uh, I'm okay. Um, I'm actually, I was joking with my coworker today. I said, I never realized I am that person that I'm like, I go from this is Halloween to have yourself a merry little Christmas. Cause it's now like in my oh, head, no. there's Christmas carols. You're Thanksgiving denier. I, I love Thanksgiving. No. I love Thanksgiving food. It's just, what I think it is, is that we don't have a lot of jingle <laughs> tunes for Thanksgiving. I know no. there's a Bob Burgers one, but I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, I just changed my ringtone. One of our, our college friends, Tabby, was like, I'm I'm changing Christmas music and people don't be mad. at. There's no Thanksgiving songs. I was like, uh-uh, uh Bob's Burgers has given us several, including the Gravy Boat, which is now my ringtone for the rest of the season until Christmas. Sometimes it's the Gravy Boat. Sometimes it's Pass. The cranberry sauce. We're having mashed potatoes. If you watch Bob's Burgers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think it's also hard because this is just like observation. There's only so much you can decorate. I know in the South, it's very like, it's very common. You put mums outside around Thanksgiving time and they're absolutely gorgeous. I love them. But they also don't really, I think, look right in December. And it makes me sad to only have them for like a month. We don't use mums. So our yard's just really bared right now. And so what I'll probably do is next week I'll probably put up the Christmas lights. But I won't plug them in until Friday. (laughs) See, my tradition is the day after Thanksgiving is the day you put up your Christmas tree. I'm not big into Black Friday shopping. Also, it's usually the first weekend of Advent. Because again, you know, Catholic childhood, and that's pretty big. So you get out all your Christmas stuff that weekend because it's the official Russian. But however, I do not think that people putting up their Christmas trees right after Halloween, it doesn't bother me. It's only when you start playing Christmas music the day after Halloween that I'm like, can we just, can we enjoy the fall for just a little bit? Especially down here where it does not get cool enough to wear your well, fall sweaters until the middle of November. I'm like, just let me enjoy it until... I don't play my Christmas music in public, but what it is is a lot of stores you're going into place Christmas They're music. Which is, how, which is how it gets in your head. I know. And then I get sick of the Christmas music by the time Christmas rolls around, and then I'm grumpy, and I like Christmas, and I like to enjoy it. So it's not so much that I... I love Christmas, but I just want to wait until the proper time so I don't get overloaded with it and annoyed with it. But enough about that. We're going (laughs) to talk about Barbarian this week. Yeah. Barbarian is, again, streaming on HBO Max, and I think it hit, what, like, was it, like, October 24th, or what was it? It was, like, right before Halloween. I think it was the 25th. Okay. Yeah, it was the week of Halloween, because I think I watched it, like, the Tuesday before Halloween. Mm-hmm. because everyone had talked about it and I was just like, I need to see this movie. And I did. Okay, so my journey with Barbarian was way back when Nope was in theaters. I went to Nope with Ryan, our editor. I saw the Barbarian trailer. I, it had not been on my radar at all. And I was like, what is this movie? Because the beginning of the of the trailer reminded me of the setup to the the movie Goodbye Girl which is a 70s rom-com starring, it's an Oscar-winning rom-com starring, oh, I'm blanking on her name, but Richard Dreyfus is one of the main characters. It's fantastic. I love it. They made it into a not-as-great musical that Burned Up Peters and Martin Short were in, but it's a great, great Neil Simon script, and it's oh. it's fantastic. Martha, oh, Marsha, 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 I can't remember her last name, but she was married to Neil, the, the lead woman, was married to Neil Simon at the time. Marsha McFadden? Marsha 
No, I think McFadden's her character's name. Anyways, but it's like the same thing. Like her boyfriend breaks up with her and sets sublets the apartment. And Richard Dreyfus is an out of town actor coming to work in New York. And he's sublet the apartment. And so they decide to share the apartment and they fall in love. And it's really kooky and great. And there's this really funny Shakespeare play subplot. And I love it. Um, So I was like, what is this? Goodbye, girl. And then it got real dark real fast. I was like, oh, no, it's a horror movie. Okay. So I like my, you know, my antenna was up and I was like, I want to go see this movie. But then I got really busy when it was in theaters and Ryan went and saw it. And Ryan had texted us and kind of warned us that there was like a lot of triggering stuff in it. And so I was like, oh, this movie must be so much different than I imagined it being. Hmm. So then, like, I got too busy. I didn't see it. So then when I... Then, Britt, you saw it. Yes. And you had kind of a hot and cold response. Yeah. As did one of my friends, Sarah, was like, I thought I was on... She on Facebook was like, Zach Krager, I agreed to go on one kind of journey with you, and now I'm going on a completely different journey, and I don't even know what I am okay with anymore. And that's kind of the reaction you had, Britt. Yeah. It was like, you were like, it started one way, and then it went another way, and I don't know if I like the other way. So I was... Very much like, oh my god, am I going to hate this movie? I'm going to love this movie. And then I ended up watching it, and I really, really liked it, guys. I don't, I can't explain, well, I can't, I will explain why. But, like, I ended up really enjoying the ending, but I got what everyone was saying, too. So, is it controversial? I don't know if it's controversial. I mean, I think it's really, really hard to find things controversial and horror at this film. I'm sure I can be disproven, but I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, I torture porn assists as a genre, essentially. So I don't right. think it's con. When we get into spoilers, I will say in the second half what I wish would have happened instead, I think. And I... Th- Mm, but also, like, the more I watched it and the more I thought about it, I think there's a lot more symbolism and less, the, like, I, like, mm, yeah. Well, the vehicle for the symbolism is a little problematic, but I think I get why they made it the way they did. However, all points are valid, as we always say. These are our opinions. If you guys loved it, if you guys hated it, that's fine. There's, it's all, it's all good. I think it does say something that people do have a strong opinion, regardless on how they feel. Yeah, I do think that does say something for the movie as a watching experience. I will say I was surprised because even though I really think it's a well crafted film. I was surprised at how high the Rotten Tomatoes score is because it's still at 92%. Yeah. Which is really high. And especially for a horror movie, I feel like the last couple horror movies that had such good scores was like Get Out and Parasite, which Parasite's still at a 99 because it's Parasite. But like Get Out, oh, Get Out's still at a 98. Good for you, Get Out. But I mean, like, 90s are not usually what horror movies are. Like, I even feel like Hereditary might be kind of low because... Yeah. Oh, no, Hereditary's 90. Hereditary was very polarizing when it came out because they marketed it in such a weird way that they set Charlie up to be the antagonist with the trailer. And I think when people went in, it was just very much like, like, what the fuck is happening? But I mean, it's not really a spoiler since the movie's been out for so many years to say that... When you kill what the trailer sets up to be the antagonist in the first half of the movie. Like, (laughs) that's where I think it... I mean, but I like that subverted that. Like, you know, you thought you were going to get one thing and you didn't. But I think a lot of And I think this movie did a little bit of that, too. Yeah. I think this movie does a bit of that, too. And they did kind of make everything connect. And I think if they hadn't made it connect, I would have been furious. But because 
it did end up connecting. And the second time I watched it, I like I got it the first time, but like it solidified this juxtaposition of how different people would handle different situations. Yeah. And two of the characters are complete polar opposites. And how they handle the same situation is completely different. And it's very clear who's in the right and who's in the wrong by the end of the movie. But the journey there is a little bit, it's a little shaky. But I will say, like, it's a strong movie. It's well-crafted. It looks good. And the performances are great. And it at least is interesting and different. And I think that's why it probably has such a high Rotten Tomato rating. And it also, on a budget of $4.5 million, has amassed $44.5 million. Yeah. That's a lot of money for a tiny, tiny movie. Well, I did, like, I was reading, so there's a New York Times interview with Sack that's really fascinating. And this is not mm-hmm. a spoiler at all. Um, it's It may be a slight spoiler, but if you if I tell you this, you have no idea unless you saw the movie. But he, <laughs> he was quoted. He said that the first part of the film is about a woman being hyper-aware and her brain is working mm-hmm. overtime to categorize behavior and assess threat. Then the inverse would be a predator with no awareness. I wanted to structure the movie as two mirror images mm-hmm. that converged. And I really liked that idea. Yeah. That I was like, it kind of made sense why it was jarring in yes. the middle. And there's still some issues I have with the second half. But I do like that there was this very cohesive thought of like this is part one this is part two and this is why i'm doing this the way it was so there was a lot of thought that went into the structure of the film yes and it kind of does has that have that classic three-act structure which i Mm -hmm. like which is like what most classic plays have and most classic movies do too and i also really like that like once I found out that it was based on the gift of fear, I because th- the on IMDb it says the book encourages women to trust their intuition when confronted by obviously dangerous men, which it was written in 1997. So I feel like I haven't read the book yet, so I'm curious if it's like because my favorite murder wrote a book. Is it oh stay sexy and don't get murdered? And kind of the whole point of that book. And also, another true crime podcast called Crime Junkie, like, has a phrase called be weird, be rude, stay alive. And um, My Favorite Murder has a catchphrase of fuck politeness. And that whole book was basically, like, like they were very vulnerable. And, like, one of them told a story where, like, they were, like, coerced into taking nude pictures by this photographer because they didn't want to be rude. And, like, how, like, we talked about this when we did the invitation, like, how, like, trying not to be rude to people puts good people in trouble of bad people like people take advantage of people who are good and so and like how to listen to red flags and stuff so i'm curious how close that book is to like those books you know what i mean yeah from like because it's 20 years in between and those are written by women and it's written by a man and i'm like i wonder if it's a very condescending book or if it's a very open-minded book i do not know and i don't want to pass judgment on it but i'm curious but i also like i the beginning of the movie is very interesting because from a woman's perspective or really any person in a vulnerable situation because you don't have to be a woman to be in this situation but like the red flags and like now that people talk about red flags like there are probably very good men who are afraid that they're be they're 
faking a red flag. Like they're not actually a red flag, but they're afraid that they're putting off a red flag because so many other men do the same thing they do and then do bad things. And so then they try really hard not to be a red flag, but then they try too hard not to be a red flag that it seems like a red flag. And like, we're still in a weird situation in society where it's getting better, but I think we're all trying to figure out like... How do we figure out who the bad people are and who the good people are when we've just met them? Yeah. What's the line between being too trusting and being trusting enough? Like, you know what I mean? And not yeah. judging people upon first meeting. It's it's a weird line. Well, the casting was really good in this, too, in that you, yeah. we have Bill Skarsgård as Keith. And automatically, because we associate him with Pennywise, it's like... Yeah. you, you Also, he's a Skarsgård. Yeah, they all look like, a little, little ooh, evil. It's but like in a good way. They're they're very good looking. Like he's a very good looking young man, but there's still just something about him that you're used to seeing that face in like a horror context. And it's like, yeah, it's very hard. You want to trust him, but you really can't trust him. And I yeah. really like that they did that. And there's a second casting choice in the second half of the film that's like also very good for that reason that we'll get to. Yeah, too. because he is a kind. The second choice which if you've seen the movie you know we're talking about he is a person who when he's very young was cast as like the nice guy the amiable guy and he has that look of like a nice guy but he's played a lot of smarmy assholes and he's very good at playing them i don't think he actually is an asshole from what i've heard he's very good it's like bo it's the bo burnham effect with promising young woman yeah you know what i mean and that's what i like because assholes can look like the nicest people ever i will say and you probably read this already so the character it's also sack originally wanted sack efron for him yeah which I could see that. Yeah, and then he, like, when Zac Efron had to turn it down, you know, he was like, I re-got to thinking, and he's like, I decided rather than the alpha frat boy, I was thinking of it all wrong. I really needed, like, a Tom Hanks character that would be charming. Because he goes, most yeah. people like this are charming, and that's how they get away yep. with so much for so long. And I was like, that's actually really brilliant when you think about it. Yeah, when we did, we we did, this is one of Brittany's favorite plays as well as one of mine, but the play How I Learned to Drive, the theater that I volunteer at, we just did it a few months ago, and the person who was cast as Uncle Peck is, an, is a nice, amiable person, and he was like, I hope I wasn't cast. <laughs> Because I look, I would be a molester. And, you know, I jokingly was like, of course that's why you got cast. But I, then I was like, no, no. The thing is, like, he, the, that person, the reason they were able to molest the main character for such a long time and so well for many years, if you've read How I Learned to Drive by Paula Vogel, you know, is because he's a very nice person on the surface with a very sick disease that he doesn't get help for. Yeah. And it's a cycle of abuse that just keeps repeating itself. And eventually at the end of How I Learned to Drive, in my interpretation, the main character stops that cycle of abuse. Yeah. Now, I think some people might interpret it differently. I don't. I interpret it that they do stop the cycle of abuse. But it does kind of call back to this movie because there is a cycle of abuse that is in this movie as well. And it's... It's echoed in, like, multiple characters. Like, how how do you end that cycle of abuse? How do you move on from an abusive relationship, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional? And I will say the beginning of the movie, there was a couple things that triggered my personal stuff. But not in, like, a, not in a bad way. Like, not in, like, a scary way. Like, I did not get so triggered I had to turn off the movie. But there's a couple things. Tess the main character says about 
an ex that she's leaving. And I was like, oh, I've been there. Oh. And so like, it, maybe that's why I just was like, ooh, I really want to make sure she gets out of this safely. Because I was like, I feel her. She's just trying to move on with her life. And then awful things happen. But we won't get into it until we hit spoilers. I will say, there's a little bit of like, of special effects. However, not a ton. But the special effects that they used, I thought this was cool. I read on IMDb that the director had a soft rule, so not like a hard and fast rule, but to not use any special effects that John Carpenter didn't have access to when he was filming The Thing. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Because, like, I mean, The Thing is, like, a perfect movie. Yeah, it is. And and especially with the special effects. Um, But the only thing they had to really use any computer-generated stuff for was there's a flashback scene to the house, and they had to... Uh, make the grass green with CGI because they kept trying to grow it and it kept dying. Oh, I was like, that's hilarious. So that was the only thing they had to CGI. So I was like, that's that's great. So everything there are special effects, but everything's pra- pretty much everything's practical in this movie, which I always like. And I think I think we're both pretty much a fan of practical effects. Yes. Also, even though Jordan Peele didn't officially help with this movie, apparently he and Zach Krager are pretty close. And according to Georgina Campbell, who plays Tess, yep, she she shared that both he and Craiger talked about this movie, the script, a lot before filming even started. So Jordan Peele's not a producer for this movie, but I feel like he kind of helped a lot. And you can see this because this, this is a movie with social commentary, but much like Jordan Peele's movies, it's not hand-fisted. Yeah. And I think this movie does a good job. Some people said it was maybe a little too obvious. The second time I watched it, I don't think so. The first time, maybe a little bit, but I think it balances it enough. It wasn't, none of the characters preach to you. Yeah. It's more of showing through, I mean, showing, not telling, which is, I'm more of a fan of than. But was there anything else we missed before we go into synopsis and spoilers? But yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the majority of it. And there may be a few points that we hit as we go for the movie too. Awesome. Um, But with that, I did write a synopsis. It's not that much different than the official synopsis, so... It is... A young woman leaving a red flag relationship decides to risk staying overnight at a double-booked Airbnb with a seemingly kind stranger and finds horror within. Mm. It is streaming on HBO Max. Be sure to watch it um, before we get into major spoilers because we're about to get into the plot. Yeah. So yes, so we are going to get into the plot and the characters. I went ahead and split it up into six sections and I titled them. Part one I have named, which I think you'll probably get the theatrical reference, Tess and Keith and the Airbnb. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get it? Yes. (laughs) I hope some theater nerds are listening to this and they're like, I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, I like... I like it because I think you're like me and it's like you watch everything with subtitles and literally the score says tormented voices echo. Yes. Um, so yes, part one, Tess and Keith and the Airbnb. Um, so spoilers abound. So a young woman named Tess played by Georgina Campbell. And so she was Amy in the Black Mirror episode Hang the DJ, which is like my second favorite Black Mirror episode. Um, but she was also in the TV series Lucy. Uh, she played DC Kate Hartford in Broadchurch, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, Lita Saad in Krypton. 
his dark materials and the TV series Suspicion. So I thought it was really cute because she was reading this screenplay. It got sent to her by like her um, agent and she was like, oh my God, this is batshit crazy. And she was talking to her boyfriend about it. He's like, I'm not, I'm not understanding it. And she happened to told him, hey, you know, well, it was written by Seth Krieger. He's like, oh my God, you gotta do it. Cause he was like a fan of the wise kids, you know. And he's like, he's brilliant. Right. You have to do it. So her boyfriend was the one who basically told her to go for this job. <laughs> she was also in this, it's a movie I haven't watched yet, but it came out, I think, last year called All My Friends Hate Me. Mm. And I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. But it's like a guy goes to a vacation house and he's increasingly getting paranoid that all of his friends are slowly turning against him basically but i've heard it's really really good but i haven't watched it yet but she's also in that as well i do believe it's a british film though so tess marshall drives up to her airbnb in a remote detroit neighborhood just like it follows just like don't breathe you know i will say like i hate that detroit is where it's at right now although people are trying to make it better but like it is offering some really great filming locations for some really good horror movies. So, silver lining? I don't know. But anyways, um, it's very dark and rainy. And she, she she starts ignoring these phone calls from a person. And we're not quite sure who it is, but someone she does not want to talk to. And she can't really see the neighborhood. And she goes up to, like, one of those, those key locks where... You know, it's like those key boxes, like when you're renting a place or like if a house is for sale, you know, and you put the code in and then the keys in the box so they don't have to meet you there for the key. Her code opens the key box, but there's no key inside. And she's like, what the fuck? She tries to call the people and um, they don't answer. So she's again, just like, what the hell? And she sees somebody inside and she's like, what is going on? So she knocks on the door and this man named Keith Toshko is the last name they give him. Although you don't really know it in the thing. Who is played by... Bill Skarsgård, who is, of course, Benny West, the dancing clown in It and It Chapter yeah. 2. He was also in Anna Karina. He was Roman Goffrey in 33 episodes of Hemlock Grove. Atomic Blong, Assassination Nation, Deadpool 2. Also, he's the brother of Alexander Skarsgård. He also was in the first season of Castle Rock. He was one of the lead characters, the kid. And I know Katie knows this, so he was also a character named Willard in The Devil All the Time, which was filmed in the town where me and Katie went to college at in Montevallo. And then yeah. I didn't know, but he was in The Eternals, too, which I never saw. But I like them. Like, Bill, too, like... Yes, he was Pennywise, but he does have that face where, like, one angle is super, like, charming and sweet, and if he just tilts his head the right way, it's very creepy. Yeah. And I appreciate that about him. But anyways, he Keith seems like a, seems like a nice guy, but also, like, it's one of those things because, you know, he's like, no, I, she's like, I rented this house, why are you in this house? Well, I rented this on HomeAway. Well, I rented this on Airbnb, and she shows him her you know, confirmation email. And he's like, well, that looks right. And then he invites her inside. And then she's like, he doesn't seem like an axe murderer, but maybe he is an axe murderer. I don't know. Like, and it's like all of those things that if this situation happened to you, it's how you would react too, because she's trying to be careful. And, you know, she takes a picture of his ID, which I don't know if you guys do that, but whenever I like meet somebody for like a blind date or something like that, like if I have talked to them on a dating app, I take screenshots of them. I send people where I'm going to be, 
what time and with who. And I put my my location on and I have people call me in like two hours if they haven't heard from me because, you know, you can't be too safe, right? Right. You know, so like she does all the, she's she's very smart, Um, but he does seem like a nice person. But then like, I don't know, some things seem like distrustworthy too. Like he he happens to know that there's a convention in town and it almost seems convenient. So she calls one hotel and doesn't get anywhere but she doesn't keep calling because he tells her oh there's a a medical convention so you're not gonna be able to get a place and she's like but like i don't know because you don't know this person maybe they're lying yeah maybe they're not but then like he makes her a cup of tea to be nice but then like she won't drink it because she's like i don't fucking know you you could have spiked my drink yeah now and also like did he did he actually rent this place you know? Yeah. He seems like very like, he's like, oh, you can, and I mean, but he's also like trying to be like, you're, he's trying to be nice. Like, okay, well just stay in here and look for hotels. Like at least you'll be in like a clean worn house. But then he brings her stuff inside. Right. He's like, okay, well, no, no, no. I insist you're, I have a raincoat. You don't. So it's like, yeah, he's being so nice, but that's the sad thing is, it's almost like when someone's too friendly, you become suspicious too. Because that's how people get trapped in murder situations. Yeah. And you know that. But then also, sometimes people are just nice. And that's why the world is so confusing. <laughs> because this is how I, like, this is how I operate in the world is I'm like, I mean, I think I told Brittany when, like, I started dating again, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to date anyone I don't know because I don't know if they're not going to try to murder me. Like, it's like a nightmare, you know, but then, like, everyone you know is already married. So you're like, well, who the hell am I going to date? And it's like, but then you want to believe that there are plenty of very nice people out there. But then you look at all these alpha male podcasts and you're like, or not. I don't know. How many men actually believe in this bullshit? Yeah. So she does finally believe that he is a good person and she like so there's a bottle of wine that whoever was renting the house out left and he she she gets out when she decides to stay the night um but she wants she he's insisting that she stay in the bedroom so he's washing sheets for her and he's like oh there's this bottle of wine but i didn't want to open it without you because i noticed you didn't drink the tea so here's the bottle of wine and he's so nervous but like i think he's just you can't tell if he's like nervous because he doesn't want to have red flags or if he's actually a walking red flag and he's trying to hide them which is what i like about the writing is because you're not 100 percent sure you're you're in her shoes and i like that yeah i do too but eventually she accepts because he asks her what are you here for and she's like oh i'm here to uh, interview for a research position for this documentary filmmaker and she made this documentary last year and he's like oh i actually saw that documentary and she's like no nobody's seen that he's like no no i did and and she's like oh well um she's talking about art collectives in detroit and he's like oh i'm part of one of those art collectives he's like i'm not like the founder but i'm one of the founders and i'm actually staying here to check out this neighborhood to see if we want to make another collective so then like, she opens up a little bit and she, they have a couple glasses of wine and she's like, she's like, hey, like, I just got out of a really controlling relationship and like, so you're like, oh, that's why she keeps ignoring phone calls is because, so it seems like she broke up with her controlling, maybe emotionally abusive boyfriend and was like, I'm going to go take this job in a different town because I want to get away from it. Which makes sense why she's, like, there in the middle of the night. Because maybe she made the decision last minute. Or maybe, like, she couldn't get out of town. But anyways, she does end up 
bonding with him. But they go to sleep separately. There is, like, some tension there, though. Yeah, because, like, it's obvious they both have feelings for each other. Like, or chemistry. I was just say chemistry. Yeah, they don't chemistry. know each other very well. Yeah, yeah. But there's some chemistry. But they're also both respectful and adult enough to be like, yeah, probably not. And I appreciate this about the movie because a, a lesser script would have them sleep together. But they don't because they're grown-ups and they're like, we literally just met each other. Um, So he goes and sleeps out in the living room and she sleeps in the bedroom and her she wakes up and her door's open. And she's like, what the fuck? Because she thinks Keith has opened her door. So she goes out into the living room and he's like having a nightmare. And that brings us to part two. Well, what the hell is that rope for? Yeah. Which is, I, I do like this because she kind of wakes up in the middle of the night. Because she hears her mm-hmm. door creak and it's open. And it's like, mm, she closed it. She didn't lock it, but she did close it. But right. she goes out, keeps asleep on the couch. And this would kind of give me the heebie-jeebies too. Because he's like moaning. But it seems like he's having, like, a very intense nightmare. But he wakes up. He's freaked out because she's standing over him. And she's like, did you open my door? And he's like, no. So she goes to bed, like, very embarrassed. But it kind of, like, sets it up that, like, Tess also at this point feels weird. Yeah. Well, and then he's also like, oh, shit. He's like, why the hell did you wake me up? And it's like, you get both of their sides because you're like, this is a... But it's an awkward situation, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it is like, like, cause you're like, is Keith like, you know, who's, who's the red herring? Is he a red herring or is he like a bad guy or is he a good guy? What's going on? And I like it because like the next morning she wakes up and he's gone and you're at first you're like, oh, what a shit bag. And then like maybe he's taken the key. He's left her the key and a note that's like, good luck on your interview today. I had to get up and go somewhere. And I was like, oh, which makes sense because he lives in Detroit. So he just is staying there to check that out the neighborhood. But you find out why he didn't want her to just stay in her car to try to find hotels. Because while this house is very well kept and updated, everything around her is like a war zone. And it takes her like several neighborhoods to get into a good part of town, basically. So you understand that. And she goes to lunch with this director And they have a good lunch. And, like, when she tells the director where she's staying, she's also like, oh, my God, why are you staying there? She's like, no, 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 it's okay. I have a roommate. So Tessa's already bought into this, like, I'm okay with staying with this guy. He's nice. Oh, I think she kind of feels bad for not trusting him. Yeah. But she she goes back to the house, and there's this man who chases her and says, (laughs) he just keeps saying, hey, little girl, don't go into that house. Don't go into that house. But he's saying it aggressively. So, like... She does what I would do, which is, like, get the fuck in the house and lock the door behind you. Because that would have scared me, too. And she calls the cops that they're like, oh, we don't have any dispatch cars out there. I'm like, really? You don't have one you could send? Really? Yeah. And that's what me and Taylor thought this was, like, a very unreal moment. Because, like, really? Like, they can't tell you that. Or at least they have to, like, try to keep you calm, right? Like, stay on the phone. Well, she said, we don't have any dispatch cars available and the man's already left. Do you really need it? She almost gaslit her into saying, no, it's okay. Which is almost why I had, like, a conspiracy about this movie. But then that conspiracy didn't come Well, I think, I think he's trying to have some social commentary on people ignoring problems that are staring them in the face. Yeah. I think. And also, I will say, I've never lived in Detroit, but I've watched a lot of documentary TV shows that have taken place in Detroit. And I can't remember what it's called, but there's one that it's literally about, like, drug dealing. It's like real drugs, and they go to different cities. 
but they went to several episodes in Detroit, and it really does look like that. And there really are just, and it's really sad because Detroit used to be a really thriving city, and then in the eighties, a lot of manufacturing jobs left Detroit, and it's just gotten worse and worse from them. And people are trying to revive the city, but it's hard when you don't have jobs for people to work at, and that's why Detroit is the way it is. But like. It is a city that has been decimated by economic struggles. And because of that, people leave and then there's all these empty houses. And I think in Detroit, I think people do get ignored. And also, Georgina is a woman of color. And, you know, I I don't think they were trying to be specifically racial ignorance. But I think it's just part of it. She's a woman. She's a woman of color. Like, that's two minorities. And if we're gonna, there's intersectionality and... People do ignore minorities. But after the whole uh, operator gaslighting her, she goes to the bathroom, realizes her out toilet paper, looks around everywhere, and then she finds it in the basement. Because, of course, she does. Which, it looks like a normal basement, but the door closes behind her. Of course. Yeah, and I think Sack did mention this was the one thing that was like a plot hole kind of in the movie, or that's not exactly what he called it. He called it, oh, logic drop. Because someone did bring up, they're like, why, they're like, why does the door always lock? And he's like, that's honestly a logic drop. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Because I was kind of wondering the same thing. Yeah, I was like, well, I guess, like, it's an old house. The door might just close on its own. Yeah, right? I th- there's a lot of places that, like, I think doors close. Especially, like, older homes that have heavy doors. If there's, like, wind, anything like that. But just the locking, I think, is a little strange. Yeah, well, I think maybe it was more of stuck than locked. Unless we want to say that maybe one of the antagonists had it set up that way. Yeah, and that's that makes sense. That makes sense. I could see that happening. I could too. Yeah. Is that it was set up to trap people down there. Yeah. But it seems very, I don't know. It seems maybe too convenient. But while she's digging around, she does come across a rope. Just a random fucking rope Mm -hmm. on a wall. Because that's normal, right? Under a bucket. It was under a bucket. So it was kind of hidden. But like any curious person, she pulls it. And she just keeps pulling it, because why not? It's a rope in the wall, right? I always pull ropes in walls. But it causes a hidden door to open. And of course, like, she does what any logical person does. She looks at it and is like, nope. But I do kind of like this. She does get this idea that she's like, okay, so she sets up a mirror. And so she can kind of peer inside. And she does see there's like a long, dark alleyway. And there's also a room. Yeah. And the room... Has a very stained mattress and a video camera and, you know, just a bloody handprint on the wall. Like, that's not weird oh, at all. and a bucket. Oh, and a bucket. Yes, I forgot about the bucket. But luckily, she's like, oh, okay, I gotta get out of here. And she hears Keith come back to the house, but he doesn't have the key because the key's upstairs after she came in the house. And so she gets him to, how does he get in again? I can't remember how he gets in. Uh, so basically, she had the key. She left her she left her phone accidentally, so she didn't have her phone on her, but she had the key to the house on her. So she's able, they're able to oh, push it. Oh, she did, okay. Yeah, they're able to push the I basement window up. open, and she slides the key to him. And so he comes in, and he lets her out, and she's, like, freaking out about the fucking creepy hallway room secret passage. And he's like, it's probably not that crazy. Like, it's, I'm sure you're overreacting. And she's like, well, I'm not going down there again. We need to leave this place. We need to call the police. This is crazy. And he's like, this is the thing that bothers me about Keith. I think he's trying to be the big brave man or he's just trying to like, but I have also 
been in a relationship where someone was like, where something bad happened. And I was like, like, this happened. And they're like, I'm sure you're overreacting. I'm like, I'm not fucking overreacting. This is what happened. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. But it's like, oh, don't overreact, sweetie. I'm like, I'm not overreacting. I'm just reacting I think to it's, a bad thing that's going on. I think it's interesting, too, because it's like one of those things where she tells him, she's like, you know, and it's terrifying. We see it. It's like a mattress bloodstained. Like you said, there's a hand. And she's like, there's a mattress in a bucket. And he's like... Yeah, it's a basement. There's going to be stuff in the basement. And he's not fully grasping what she's trying to explain to him. Exactly. But so she's like, well, she puts a chair in front of the door, which is smart. So it won't lock behind them. And she's like, well, I'm not going down. And he's like, well, you don't have to go down. I'll go check it out. But apparently it's not just that hallway. But there's another set of stairs that leads to another hallway. And so... He, I guess, goes down those. I don't know why you would keep going down the stairs without the other person. I still don't understand. But he does. And then she hears him kind of yell for help. So she's like, oh, shit. And again, instead of calling the cops or taking her phone with her, she goes downstairs. And she does eventually find him. But he's injured. And he says, something bit me back there. And she's like, what? And she's like, okay, we have to go back this way. She's like, no, that's where it is. And she's like, what is? And then he screams because this, what do we want to call it? We can call it her. the mother because that's what the mother. That's what she's credited as. The mother who is a naked woman with bedraggled hair and covered in filth and has creepy long fingernails screams, freaks out. And then proceeds to smash Keith's head against a wall to smithereens. And I was genuinely terrified at this point. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, did not expect that at all. It's definitely like a assault on the senses. Because you're just like... Yes. Because even up to that very moment, I thought, like, I was like, if Keith, is Keith trying to pull one over on her? Like, is Keith yes. still the bad guy? He Because you're like, why would he continue to go down the hallway and to the other door and it's like oh because he's purposely trying to lay her down there so it really does subvert your expectations when the mother just shows up out of nowhere i know and i feel really bad for keith but anyways that brings us to part three oh well we do which abruptly happens we do real quick have to give a shout out uh the mother is played by matthew patrick davis who has been in a few different episodes of a lot of TV shows, such as Jane the Virgin, Dwight in Shining Armor, hey. and American Dad. And there is hey. a quote from Sack where he said Matthew was his personal hero. Uh, he said he came out, he agreed to get naked and have shit glued to his body for five hours a day. But Matthew is biologically male? I believe so, yes. So, at least he didn't have to be really naked, I guess. Uh, maybe. There's definitely. Maybe it was he was naked and one of the prosthetics tucked him. I don't know. I would be very interested to see if Matthew would, like, give an interview about, like, how the prosthetics worked for yeah. this. But five hours. But, yeah, it's some pretty terrifying makeup job. I'm just surprised they had a, a man. But, I mean, Doug Jones played a lot of the female ghosts well- in... Crimson Peak. It's not so much the man thing. I think what it is is because she's so tall and that's like she's such a hovering figure. It's probably they wanted the height more than anything else. But like I don't see a lot of female body work actors. It's like Doug Jones, Javier Botet. There's not a lot of women who do it. And I guess maybe it's because they want someone very tall and skinny. Also, just putting it out there, it's kind of like there are female ultra feminine drag queens 
But you are limited if you have breasts that you can't detach from your body. You're limited on your costuming, you know? Yeah. So I think that might also be another thing. Um. Anyway, so we do a hard cut to a completely different genre, which is what I like to call part three, what AJ did, or if it looks like a Weinstein, it probably is. Yeah. So um, in California, there's a Hollywood actor, producer, I don't know, Hollywood type named AJ. And he's played by Justin Long. Yay! Which... A.K.A. the Mac guy. Yeah. As I forgot about, but Red Letter Media pointed out. And I was like, oh yeah, those were a thing. The very first thing I remember seeing him in was he was Derry in Jeepers Creepers. And which, yes, we don't like the director of Jeepers Creepers, but I saw Jeepers Creepers way before I knew... The shitty, shitty person. I wonder if Justin Long knew. I don't know. That's a a good question. He is still hired pretty regularly. So I I like to believe that he's a stand-up guy. And I hope it never comes out he's not. Because I like him. But me and and my brother always like Jeepers Creepers. Because it's a brother-sister duo in Jeepers Creepers. He was in Live Free or Die Hard. Galaxy Quest. Accepted. Dodgeball. True Underdog Story. Waiting. Uh, he's also oh, been the voice movie. of Alvin in pretty much all the Alvin and Chipmunk movies. There's a lot of them now. One of my personal favorite roles of his, he was in Sakamori Make a Porno. Uh, he was in He's Just Not That Into You, which was a very guilty pleasure movie of mine. And it also, was. I saw that in theaters. Yes, I, I still can't help but think of it every time I hear Somewhere Only We Know, which is like a t- trending TikTok song. It's like, and I always think of that movie. But other than Drag Me to Hell, he was also in Tusk and most recently Clerks 3, too. Mm-hmm. So he's still pretty active and he has one of those faces you instantly recognize him. So Justin Long is a Hollywood asshole driving down the road and with not a care in the world. And his world is basically shattered because um, his his team working on his TV pilot calls to have bad news. And they're like very gently trying to tell him, hey, so the lead actress in the show that you just filmed a pilot for is basically accusing you of sexual assault. And it's really bad. And you're going to be removed from the show like immediately. Also... Kim Masters, who is a real reporter, and she helped break the Harvey Weinstein story in real life, is writing an article about it. So it's going to be bad. And so he goes to his financial advisor, and he basically fires him and tells him, yeah, your California residences are going to make you go bankrupt with your legal fees, but you could sell those and go to your Michigan properties, which is ironic because apparently he owns the house that everyone was staying at. Yeah. The house. At 427. Wasn't it 427? Oh, 476 Barbary. 476. Yeah. And so he flies to Michigan. And, I mean, he's oh, he's such an asshole. So he calls his mom to complain about the woman reporting his sexual assault. And he's like, it's not true. She's a bitch. And his mom's like, honey, that's not very nice. He's like, well, she ruined my career. And I'm like, I mean, why are you going her a bitch, though? Like, couldn't you say, like... I don't know. Like, it's obvious that he's, like, the lady doth protest too much. You know what I yeah. mean? And he also doesn't tell his own mother that he's in town, even though he's in town. Also, he wasn't supposed to leave the state, but he didn't check with anyone beforehand. And he calls his college buddy to go bar hopping, and he's like... And this is, I guess, this variance by Sack, by the way. He's like, hey, F-word slur. Like, he's just such a douchebag. But yeah, Zach Krieger plays his friend. But at the bar, he basically confesses 
to the sexual assault through denial. He's like, I mean, she wasn't really into it at first, but then she was. So it's not really rape. It's like, no, no. Yeah. Just because you wore someone down doesn't mean he you ignoring their initial no. The actual thing, he's like, she came around because I'm a persistent dude. So did you drug her? I mean, like, coercion... Still bad. It's also just pretty fucking creepy that he goes out to the bar to hang out with his friend. And even though there's, the bar is loud, he's having this conversation in public yes. with his friend. And and then he calls the woman and leaves a voicemail for her. And he's like, I'm sorry about the miscommunication. I didn't think it was rape. But if you thought it was rape, I'm sorry. And I was like, that is not an apology. And this is... You dumbass. His lawyer literally gives him the legal advice, like, you do not need to talk to her. Do not talk to her. And he still gets drunk well, he and still leaves her, her voicemail. And the next morning he wakes up and he, he finds Tess's... This is, like, the movie gets funny at this point. This part was very funny. Like, I was like, what the fuck's going on? But I was like, okay, we're on this journey now. Okay. And he finds Tess's keys on the kitchen table. And then he goes in and finds Keith's suitcase. And he's like, who the fuck is staying at my house? And they're like, like, because obviously they double booked it. They're not paying attention. So like, I don't fucking know. Also, by the way, did you notice? I, it took me three times to watch this. But the book in the suitcase is supposed to be Jane, Jane Eyre. Eyre. Yeah, I did notice that. And Jane Eyre has a subplot where a woman is locked away in part of the house. Yeah. So hey, foreshadowing. So he decides to go investigate and he too finds the secret room. But instead of leaving the fucking chair where Tess left it, he moves it. So he also gets locked in that stupid basement. But he does have his phone on him. And instead of being scared before he gets locked in, he grabs a measuring tape and is like, how much square footage can i charge for a basement can underground rooms be listed as square footage when selling yes. house this is, yes and he starts mesh- he completely ignores the fact that it's a rape dungeon yeah he's like ew. and it's just like he's like ew and he's just like and like if i've seen a couple like i've i saw someone juxtaposition the two scenes back to back of Tess looking at the room and him looking at the room and it's so different because she like genuinely has compassion for whatever happened to a person in that room and he's just like ew this is gross but I might make money and then he finds the other staircase and he just keeps measuring it it's so funny Uh, but then all is not well because he does eventually run into mother after like he finds this creepy room and it's got, like, blankets all over it. And it reminds me, like, I don't know if you did this when you were a kid, Brit, but, like, I used to make little, like, forts in the bathroom closet yeah. of my house. And I would just take all the towels and I would sit in them. And I was like, oh, this is comfortable. And my mom was like, Katie, that's where the dirty laundry goes. I was like, but now it's the clean laundry on the floor and I'm comfortable. But it's like a room where there's just, like, a bunch of blankets all over the floor. But then there's this television playing this breastfeeding video, like how to breastfeed. And it's just on a loop. And it's just like, what the fuck is this? And it's very like dated. Like you can tell it's like from the 70s or the 80s or something. And I think it's funny because even like, so most people like see breastfeeding as like a very natural like thing. And he sees a video and the first response he has is like, ugh. Like he. (laughs) so gross. I mean, in the context, it's creepy, but like just a breastfeeding video on its own is just kind of like, all right, well, that's a necessity people need to know about. But the mother does find him and throws him into a cage along with Tess. Yes. Which brings me to part four, 
which I called Blame It on Reagan. And I love this because the very first thing is you notice the ratio automatically changes. Yes. Yes, the aspect ratio changes, and we're in the 80s, and everything looks bright and cheery. This is where they CGI'd the green grass, and you see Frank played by Richard Brake, who I think we both know where he is most familiar from recently. Oh, fuck yeah. So he was the Night King uh, in season four Uh and five of Game of Thrones, and he played the Night King in one of my favorite episodes of Game of Thrones, which is season five's Hard Home, which is the whole come at me, Mm -hmm. Snow. When he just raises all the dead. Oh, it's brilliant. But he's a pretty prolific actor. He's been in a lot of things. So, uh, Doom 31, Kingsman, The Secret Service, Hannibal Rising. He plays uh, Joe Chill in Batman Begins, who, of course, is who murders Batman's parents. Halloween 2, as is Zombies, Rob Zombies Halloween 2. Also, 3 from Hell and Mandy, because I know Mandy is one of your personal favorites, Katie. I love Mandy. Mm -hmm. We will eventually do Mandy. But yes, so Richard Brake went to a late night screening of this, according to IMDb. And there were a bunch of like teenagers. And when he was leaving, they were using their phones as flashlights and they shined the flashlight on his face and saw his face. And because they had just seen the movie, screamed and ran away from him. So that's fucking hilarious. Even though I don't, wouldn't say he's terrifying in this. Um, but this did remind me a lot of two things. The people under the stairs and the lovely bones. I don't know if it was just me, but uh, have you seen the lovely bones? Have I seen the lovely bones? It's one of my favorite books. <laughs> but it reminded me of the villain yeah. in that movie, in the in the book, because like, so it's the, it's the 80s also, um, which I think it's technically the 70s in the lovely bones, but it's the 80s and we follow the last dinner of the home frank and he is like shopping and he seems kind of gruff but he talks to this lady at the supermarket and she's like how can i help you he's like i'm looking for first he says rubber sheets and you're like that's creepy and then he's like for a home birth and as soon as she's he says home birth she kind of is like oh okay you poor thing and starts getting very like i wouldn't say maternal but very like warm and friendly towards him because she like wants to help yeah which is I mean, she's a very nice person. She's very trusting. But, like, there's something, like, not right. But, like, the way he interacts makes people trust him. And even though he's kind of creepy. And then on his way home from buying home birth supplies, which he says, oh, I don't have any kind of, like, instructions. No, I don't have a doula or a midwife or anything. I'm like, "Mm, this is suspicious. To me, I would be calling the cops at this point, but this woman's like, it's fine. It's the 80s. And she, he he puts on a uniform with someone else's name on it. I think it's Carlo or Carlos. Mm. And he knocks on this very pretty young mother's housewife, her door. And he's like, hey, uh, I need to check the water pressure. And she's like, oh, you're wearing a uniform, so come on in. Which, I'm sorry. I don't care how nice you seem. And if I've called you, whenever there's a service person at my house, if no one else is at the house with me, one, my dog is barking his little head off at them. Two, I have texted people and told them this is the name of the person. Because I'm sorry, like, I will not be that person. Who gets on the news? That's not the way I want to get on the news. Anyways. But again, this was the 80s and things were a little more trusting. So this lady lets him in her house and he unlocks her window from the inside. Presumably so he can go back later. It's like, and you know who did that? 
the Golden State Killer did that shit. The Golden State Killer would break into people's houses, leave ropes and knives hidden in their couches, and then when he would wake them up in the middle of the night to torture them and or kill them, he would just pull things out of their home that they didn't even know were in their home. It's terrifying. Anyways, so he returns back to the home, and as he walks opens the door to the basement you hear a screaming woman she's like okay so this has been a long time coming yeah so we go back to the present which i call part five be my baby be my little baby my baby (laughs) and tess and aj are in a cage here's the thing and this was the thing brit told me she's like and i agree the incest monster trope it has been done and it has been overdone but i think I think she is supposed to be a symbol for rape, misogyny, abuse, all that shit. Okay, and this is... I think... This is another thing that bothers me, though. Okay, so later in the movie, and we'll get to this part, they mentioned that she's been in the house for about 40 years and she was born there. So it would make sense that, like, she was probably born in, let's say, the early 80s at this point. But they say... A copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Frank does not look that old in the 80s. So I feel right. like that's another plot thing that to me is a little loose. That I'm like, okay, if uh-huh. she's supposed to be the result of like generations of inbreeding, how is that possible? Because Frank, I mean, I could maybe see if Frank started very young and maybe let's say. Or if his dad did. Yeah. Or maybe his mom was his sister. Yeah. But it's like, it's definitely implied that because they call her, Frank her daddy. So that's like just the one thing mm-hmm. that I'm just kind of like a little bit like fuzzy on. But I will say, like they do, the, okay, they try to humanize her a little bit because Tess tells AJ, like, don't freak out, don't yell. She just wants us to be her baby. So just, if she gives you a bottle, just take it, just be calm because Tess has been surviving for like a week or two. Yeah, at least. But I think it also shows that Tess has compassion. Yeah. Because like this shows that she does like, she doesn't, she understands that mother isn't like this to be cruel. It's all she's known and all she's been taught is this. And she wants to be a good person, but Frank has prevented her from being a full human being and also inbreeding. And Sack has called, compared the mother to like figures like King Kong or like Letterface, which is that they're just trying to essentially do best with the tools that they're given. Right. And I appreciate them humanizing her. I just wish she wasn't completely naked the whole time because I feel like that distracts from them trying to humanize her. I thought maybe... Also, why wouldn't she have clothes? I just also thought maybe as well because the police were like ignoring essentially tests in the beginning. I thought maybe it was like a government conspiracy thing. Or something too. Maybe. And that's where when I found out that it was like an incest rape thing, it kind of like soured it a little bit for me. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's still like, I will say I continue watching the movie and obviously I watched it a second time. So I, it didn't like completely put me off. It just kind of disappointed me a little bit. I mean, it was, I wasn't sure what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. I honestly thought it was either going to be in the basement torture porn Mm -hmm. or it was going to be some weird sci-fi, I don't even know, time jump loop thing of torture. But I kind of like how they did it because I do think it's, I do think she's supposed to be symbolic of a cycle of abuse. But I do, again, I just wish like, I'm not trying to be a prude, 
I just think her titties are flopping around everywhere. Yeah, it's and a shock like value. It's a shock value. It's a lot of, it's a little too shock value to take it seriously as a symbolic gesture. But I think they're trying to ride the line between a get out and a malignant. Yeah. Because apparently a lot of people were calling this this year's malignant. It's not as shocking as malignant. I will say, it was kind of a roller coaster like malignant. But it wasn't scary after... It's not really scary to me after they do the hard cut to Justin Long because she's just a person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, nothing really scared me after that point. So when everyone was like, oh, it's so scary, I kind of expected it to be scary the whole time. But I will say the the first part is the scariest part. Yeah. But the rest of it is enough to keep you wanting to watch it. I was about to say, I don't remember who said it. And I can't remember, I really can't remember who said it. But someone said it was a David, a David Fincher film in the first half. And a Sam Raimi film in the second half. And I do agree. Oh, yeah, I can see yeah. that. So she does come back and she tries to feed them a bottle. But AJ won't take the bottle. By the way, there's hair on the bottle. But that was an accident. Apparently the wig that the actor playing mother was wearing um, shed some hair on it. But then the director liked it, so he was like, let's put more hair on it. And it just reminded me of Don't Breathe with the turkey baster Mm -hmm. and how there's like a pubic hair in the semen cocktail. Mm. So when she shoved it down his throat, I was like, yeah, eat your own pubes, asshole. But when you think she's going to get it, that was, I was like, oh. So mother takes AJ to the nursing room and, well, (laughs) this is so crass that I wrote this, but it just... It sounded funny in my head. While AJ resists the tit, because, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Um, The teat, I don't know, teat sounds inhuman, and this poor lady's already made up the way she is. Tess is able to escape, but alerts Mother when she runs into AJ's tape measure. So she's pulled out by a ma- the man who yelled at her before, whose name is Andre, played by James Butler. James with a Y, Butler. Yeah, and so he, he's been in a few, like, different things. He's been in a lot of things, but I oh, think yeah. this was, like, a bigger speaking role. Uh, but he was in Resident Evil, Snowden, Big Game, Southland, and he was in multiple episodes of other TV shows such as Glee and iCarly. So Andre pulls Tess out and saves her. Yes, Andre pulls Tess out. And then, like, it turns out Andre isn't a scary guy killing at her. Um, And he tells her, like, that lady's going to come after you when it gets dark, so you need to get out of here. But you're lucky that you got out. You know, so you need to leave him behind. But she's like, no, 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 no. There's another person in there. We have to help him because Tess is a good person. Yeah. So she walks all the way to a gas station because her phone's still in the house. And I, at this point, I was like, I would have gone back in the house and gotten my keys. I feel like, because I feel like if the light's shining in because she's afraid of daylight, then like maybe you could have gotten it. I don't know. But she doesn't do that. She's Her keys are still in the house. So she goes to a local gas station, calls some very unsympathetic cops who are like, oh, are you on drugs? And she's like, no, I'm not on drugs. I've been kidnapped. Maybe you need to sleep this off. She's like, sleep off my kidnapping? What the fuck? And, you know, they're not going to help her. And they eventually like, they drive to the house, but then they're like, ma'am, if you don't have the keys, she's like, my keys are in the house. And she's like, you can't break into that house she's like oh my god so she decides to get her keys herself and rescue aj when they leave her which brings me to the last part of our film part six a good person or a good liar yeah who's gonna win Mm. which meanwhile aj has gotten away from mother when she went after tess and found the now bedridden and barely alive Frank. And he thinks Frank is a victim at first. Yeah. And so he's like don't worry man like I'm gonna call the cops I'm gonna be swarming this place. And then as he's talking to Frank, 
he sees this wall of videotapes. Yeah, and I had to, against my better judgment, pause and read some of the titles. Oh, no. The second time, there's some very sad titles, including very old, no teeth, Irish accent, pregnant, and suicide. Yeah. So, but I do like, it's like, you know, sometimes it's like, it's better to not see the monster because then what you imagine you're in your head is almost even right. worse yes so. but he does end up aj does end up turning on one of the tapes and is watching a snuff film basically and he turns around and as he's starting to realize that frank is the person who created all these problems frank has gotten his gun and shoots himself in the head because he doesn't want to get caught because he's like, a fucking coward, coward. fucking yeah. asshole yep and aj grabs the gun and um tess is able to break in at dusk to get her car keys and lure her mother out and when she comes out she runs her over and she thinks she's dead so she heads into the basement to rescue aj but aj which I I will say this did seem like an accident. He's frightened by Tess, but this is why some people just don't need to have deadly weapons. Also, you probably shouldn't handle a gun if you don't know how to use a gun and how to have proper gun safety because he shoots her on accident thinking it's the mother. But I will say he doesn't leave her for dead, which I thought is what he was going to do. And I was like, oh, he's helping her out of the basement. Okay. But then his keys are in the tunnels and her car is now totaled, so they still have to walk and they find Andre by the water tower because he's like, that's where I live. And then there's kind of like a, it's it's kind of a kumbaya moment where they're sitting by the fire and Andre's like, you know, I know she's shot, but she'll make it through the night and then in the morning we'll go get her help. But we're safe here, you know, and he's like, you know, he starts talking about how it's just like the guy started raping women and then he'd have children with the babies of the women he'd raped and that's why the woman is, that's why the mother is so inhuman looking. Which is, I will say very quickly, another thing he said, so he's like, he would have children with the women and have children with those children. And it's like, but where are all these children? And so there's like evidence. Did they all die? Yeah, well, that's what Taylor said when he was watching with me. He goes, maybe he killed them all. And I was like, that would make a lot of sense because there was evidence. We saw like the, the cages and stuff. So we knew they were there. Yeah. But then how do you get rid of the bodies too? I don't know. Maybe there's another tunnel after that tunnel. Mm. Or maybe they, maybe some of them escaped. Yeah, which is sad because it's like they, Andre does mention she goes out at night. And I think Sack mentioned in like the live interview that they did that it was like, you know, his belief was as long as like no one bothered them, they like kind of kept to their own, essentially. Yeah. But yeah, so as they're like, well, how do you know she's not going to come here? This part was a little malignant. I, you know oh. what this part reminded me of? You remember Samuel L. Jackson in Deep Blue Sea? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, so, so like, like, Andre, how do you know she's not going to come here? And Andre's like, she never comes up in this motherfucking place. I've lived here for like 10 years. And she just rips through a wall, which, okay, this was like a makeshift shelter. So I know people are like, she has like, like superhuman strength. I was like, she does survive getting hit by a car, though, too. Like, so. Well, yeah, but I mean, 
You don't know how much pain she's yeah. in. Maybe she's, her life has been pain Poor and she's thing. just dealing with yeah. it. But so she bu- bursts through the motherfucking wall and she rips Andre's arm off his body and beats him to death with it. And it's not funny, but the way it happens is kind of funny because it's just so out of the blue. And you're just like, what the fuck just happened? And they're, they're like watching in horror and then they run away and they can't get over the barbed wire fence. So they're like, what the fuck do we do? And so they start climbing the water tower. But Tess, again, has been shot in the stomach. So you're like, oh my God, are they going to make it? And they make it to the top of the tower and Tess is like, your gun, your gun! And he fucking drops the fucking mm. gun. Sorry for all the slurs. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, again, oh, and also, he just had this come to Jesus moment at the fire, like, maybe I'm a bad person, or maybe I'm a good person who did a bad thing, but I need to right this wrong. We've got to fix this situation with the house. And, like, you think he's going to turn over and leave, but motherfucker, no. He he throws Tess off the water tower and tells the mother, go get your baby. And it's actually a very beautiful shot of her just falling. And then it would be beautiful if mother wasn't like completely butt-ass naked and there's just titties flying in the wind. But you know what? We'll ignore that. It's so sad though, because the mother takes the blunt on the fall. She does. So she actually saves Tess's life. But AJ doesn't know that till he gets down. And then, and then he tries to gaslight Tess. He's like, oh, I it, I had no choice. Oh, like, you slipped. I didn't push you. You slipped. Mm. I was like, oh, my God. He is never going to learn his lesson. And luckily, Mother wakes up and, you know, goes all over on Martel. That's what I said. On, I was like, she mountains head. the fuck out of him. <laughs> and it's great. And apparently some character died like that in Jeepers Creepers. So. Or had their eyes Oh, uh, So spoilers for the end of Jeepers Creepers. So his sister tried to convince the creeper to take him, but it carries off Derry. And you don't see it happen. But the last shot of the movie is you see Derry's face and his eyes have been removed. And the creepers look for his eyes because he's stolen Derry's eyes. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a very like cool visual shot. Creepers. It's a cool visual I'm shot. I'm sure yeah. it is. I just will never watch it now that I... Because I found out about the badness before I watched it. Yeah, and there's some things, like, in the second one, too, that, like, I was watching a video on it, and they're just like, yeah, now that you know the director's, like, history, it's kind of unsettling. And I was like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, so, AJ's down for the count, and this is the part where I was like, I think they're trying to tell a story of breaking a cycle of abuse, because let me just explain my point of view. I could be wrong. But Tess has left an abusive relationship. She, to survive the abusive relationship with mother, she has once again compromised her values because she just goes along with it. Even though, like, she just saw Keith, a nice person, get murdered, she pretends that she's okay with being the baby. And then she goes back to rescue a person when she could have survived and then that person turned out to be an asshole too so anyways mother tries to take Tess with her and she just keeps telling her i can't go back i can't go back and she finally just shoots her in the face kind of mercifully yeah i don't know if like it's kind of a mercy kill i mean she's probably gonna die anyways but she's just like i can't go back yeah and then it hard cuts to a blackout and be my baby but i think it is her stopping the cycle of abuse because then she gets up and she walks away and i do think that it's supposed to be a little symbolic, but it's also, I don't know. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if it's perfect. I think you are way. right, though. And I think it's very heartbreaking because the last thing the mother does is that she kisses her hand and boops 
Tess's face and calls her baby before Tess shoots her. But Zach mentioned, and this is this is not explained significantly anywhere in the movie. Maybe it's in the script and it got cut. But is he explains that Tess is a child of an alcoholic and that Zach himself is a child of an alcoholic. Oh. And so they constantly return to the person just because that's how, what they do. So it's like she is finally walking I mean, away. True. Yeah. Because maybe she was with her controlling boyfriend because her she had an abusive family and maybe she moved on to that relationship to get away from relying on her family. And then she finally realized, oh, this relationship is not a good relationship and then she left that one so i like i like social commentary in horror movies i think the best ones have that i mean audition has that with the misogyny and the abuse and who's the abuser and unlike audition tess breaks the cycle of abuse and that's where it ends that's that's where it ends do we have any pros and cons final thoughts I do like the way it was shot, and I forgot to mention it. So there's like two um, two shots in the movie that remind me of like a video game. The first is like in the opening scene. So Tess is like, she mm-hmm. not, she like goes to the door and then she looks around. And I can't quite, this, it's almost like if you play like a first person video game and like she's holding up her flashlight. It's like over the shoulder. So you see like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and you see the same thing later with AJ in the tunnel. You see his arms and he's holding the knife, but it's almost like an over the shoulder POV video game shot. And there's a lot of really interesting so like even like there's, when Tess turns over in the bed because she's embarrassed it's like the way like the camera moves, I guess it's like on a dolly of some kind. So yeah. it creates these very interesting like visuals and camera angles and movements. And I really like that. I hadn't seen anything quite like it that I can recall. They also did like a really cool job with like the opening scene, like the title screen. Because mm-hmm. the way she walks into the house and then it goes to a black and it says barbarian. Yeah. And then it, then she's in the house. And I was like, ooh, it was kind of like that kind of movement as well. It's like, I think the camera like really moves with the person. Which maybe they had it rigged on a person. Yeah. Like they did with the, you know, they did that with Halloween. We talked about how that was the steady cam. That was the first time they had done. It was one of the first times they'd done steady cams. I was looking up the cinematographer, Zach Cooperstein or Cooperstein. And this is his only credit. Oh, he also did The Eyes of My Mother. Oh, I've heard of that movie. I've heard of, but not watched. And The Vigil, which I have seen. And The Vigil is so good. I talked about it, but we didn't act. We haven't watched it. He's got a few upcoming too coming up. So I like this cinematographer. He's done a lot of stuff, actually. A lot of smaller stuff and like shorts. So this seems like. So anyways. But I was curious because it is a really well shot movie and it's really well cast. Bill Skarsgård who falls between creepy and cute. I think that was perfect. I really like the writing. Yeah. Especially the first third. It's so awkwardly real. Yeah, that's why I really like the first half of the movie because there's never going to be, when you rewatch the movie, it's never going to be quite the same experience as the first time you watch it where you're guessing. Like you're guessing along with Tess, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? And that's what I like so much about it is because it really felt like I was trying to keep up with like who could he be and what are his motives type thing. Yeah, I do kind of like that it moves on from that, but then... The whole first part is very, it would make a very good short film or like even a play Mm -hmm. where you just don't know where the red flag is. And I do like the juxtaposition. I love that they juxtapose Tess and AJ and their reactions to the basement, how different they are. And like, it is comical, but it's not like, ha 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 ha. It's like, oh, what the fuck is wrong with that person? And honestly, all three main characters had a 
incredibly strong performance. And even Frank, even though, and Frank and Andre, they weren't on screen as long, but they both had really good performances too. And of course, the body work done by the actor who played Mother. But it's a good looking movie and it's a well-crafted movie and there's some substance to it. I wouldn't call it elevated horror though. Yeah. It's not a hereditary, it's not a lighthouse, but... I would say it's more like a don't breathe or a, it's not quite as crazy as malignant, like people are saying. Maybe like an Oculus. The only bad thing I had was, I mean, you already said this, was the incest monster trope. Like, it looks, she looks a little too much like a monster and less like a person. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I feel like, like, the the fact that she exists as a character doesn't bother me. I think it's the way she looks is a little... Like, she almost looks like the creatures in The Descent. Yeah, a little bit. Except she has more hair and then her eyes are more human looking. Because the creatures in The Descent are, like, blind because yeah. they've been in the cave and stuff. Yeah. But I get what you're saying. They have those weird ears. It's like, the, it's like she... You can see a little bit of the human, but not really. Yeah. She does look like the people under the stairs people. Yeah, I can see that. But... Again, like, I think it's also trying to explore gentrification a little bit and misogyny and consent, which I I think those are all interesting things. The gentrification, I don't know if it's completely there. He did say in one of the interviews, it may have been the IndieWire Scream Rant interview I read, that he basically just said it in Detroit. He said it could have been set in a hundred different cities, but he said it in Detroit because he was most familiar with Detroit. Okay. Mm-hmm. I did on um, the second watch. I thought it was a really interesting conversation. So it's like Tess and Kiefer sit on the couch, and she's basically talking about how like men can blow through life, and they don't have to be as careful as girls do. And I think it's very interesting how Tess was very careful while AJ blew through things, mm-hmm. and they both ended up in very very similar situations. And that they were still caught, even though Tess played it safe while AJ was just an idiot and essentially blew for the situation. I mean, at one point, he's literally walking past cages and still is measuring. I know. I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But I, I do like that. So I do like how, like, there's a little foreshadowing even in that conversation. I did think there was a lot True. in the script that was very smart. Yeah, I just kind of, I guess maybe, like I said, with the police ignoring her and stuff, I was really hoping it was some kind of government, like, cover-up thing. So, yeah. but I mean, you know, it, it, it didn't ruin the movie for me. I just, I guess, was more disappointed in that aspect of the film. Yeah. By the way, I have to do an early correction because he's married to Sarah Paxton, not Kate Bosworth. But Kate Bosworth did voice, and I think Sarah Paxton did as well. Both of them voiced characters over the phone. One of them voiced... Megan Maddox. The girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. And one of them, the or not girlfriend, the co-star yeah. that accuses him. And... Probably correctly. And the other one played one of the people on the telephone call that fired him. But they're both blonde actresses from the same, like, time period from my childhood. So we're going to insert the moody movie news into this part. So we'll see what Ryan thought of this movie. And then we'll be right back for ratings. So I'm conflicted as I can see why Barbarian has a high rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But a few points in the movie tinge it overall for me. First, I feel the promotion team did a fabulous job with advertising. You get just enough in the trailers that you're interested, but not enough to really have any idea what it's going to be about. 
Cracker does an excellent job of messing with this expectation and toying with the audience as you go through the movie. I was able to see this more when watching Griffin Schiller's review of the movie on his YouTube channel, Filmspeak. I highly recommend checking that video out after you watch the movie to go into more detail, but basically Cracker is able to take the traditional tropes and flip them on their head to make a more interesting film and sidestepping the expectations of the audience. Is Keith, played by Bill Skarsgård, a manipulative killer spinning a web for Tess, played by Georgina Campbell? Nope. Just an awkward dork trying to do right as he house hunts for the local music scene. Is AJ, played by Justin Long, a misunderstood hero who will save our final girl and the whole accusation thing is a misunderstanding? Nope. He's a piece of trash that uses every opportunity to get what's best for him at the cost of everyone else. Speaking of AJ, we get to the rotten apple that makes it difficult to really enjoy the movie. Part of what made the movie great is that you have no idea what the movie was going to be about going in. Unfortunately, this also blocked any trigger warnings for not just one, but two rape plots in the film. Not only is the monster of the film a product of constant rape and incest, the movie points to her father having raped generations of his kids to get to her, but AJ is pointed to being a rapist for his trait to make him unworthy in the audience's eyes, while Tess, not knowing, thinks he's an innocent that needs to be saved, and constantly risks her life to save him. I feel this movie would be leaps and bounds better if they were replaced with other factors to get to the same qualities. We could have also had the movie without AJ. I feel the playing with expectations would have been weaker because I do like Tess trying to save AJ even though we as an audience know he's not worth it. But it causes a weird pacing gap in the movie to introduce him after Keith's curtain call. I find myself on the fence for this break. On the one hand, I like seeing what is going on as it adds suspense to if Tess is okay and covers the missing time of apparently a couple of weeks passing since her capture. But at the same time, it really messed with the pacing overall and took me out of the movie. The other downfall for the movie was the shot-for-shot recreation of Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man saving MJ in No Way Home, to the point that when the monster saved Tess, I found the line, Are you okay? Escaping my lips. And we all laughed in the theater. My final thing to say, since I'm only getting to do a short blurb rather than being on the show, is that Barbarian has proven that my boy Skarsgård can play the good guy and has the charm. Marvel, Disney, if you're listening, I need Bill Skarsgård as Nightcrawler whenever you finally bring the X-Men to the MCU. Love y'all, and I hope y'all have a great show. Okay, and that was Moody Movie News. Yay! Too bad we couldn't get three M's. Oh, Britt, did you have... An out of 10 rating for this. I did. So I'm going, I struggled with this, but I think I landed on a 7.5. I, I give it an 8.5. Okay. It was just refreshing. It was refreshing to be on a roller coaster. I like the filming. Like, I, I love the way it looks. I like the acting. I thought it was a really well-casted movie. Like, really well-casted. I like a lot of the ideas that Sack had. I like, like, how it was birth. I thought it was really cool. It was, like, an interesting thing that he did. Having an idea and then just expanding upon it, expanding upon it, expanding upon it. I liked it. It's not a bad film. I would recommend it. And I do think it's worth a watch. I would like to see maybe less plot holes in his second movie i think that's like oh no logic 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 drops i hope the second film he comes (laughs) up with has less less logic drops i would love to see a return to horror for him though because i do think he has i do think there's a lot of promise there yeah i like his horror and i think 
You know, some people are like, oh, these comedians doing horror. I was like, comedians have dark mm-hmm. stuff. That's why they do comedy. So I think it totally makes sense that they're into horror. I, I think it's totally fine. Maybe closer to an eight than a nine. Definitely. It was just so refreshing and well acted. Yeah. And I think it was really good. I really like it. Um, Did you have a Grindhouse Girls rating? Because I have three. I have two. Um, So the first one is rated M for mirrors mattresses and measuring tapes and the second is rated n for neighborhood nopes and naked women okay mine was rated r for ropes regonomics and red flags rated t for t towers and tape measures or this is my favorite but it might be too niche rated t for trickle down trauma Mm. get it because the trauma is generational, but also trickle-down economics is what caused things like Detroit to fail in the 80s. Because <laughs> it's a myth, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, those are all good, but I kind of like R best, I think. You like mm-hmm. R? I like R, too. Yeah. Okay, so... This episode is either going to come out the week of Thanksgiving or the week after Thanksgiving. So we're officially going to be in the holiday season for December, which, you know, we usually only do a couple episodes in December so we can have a break. So y'all can have a break and, you know, we can all enjoy our families um, for the holiday seasons and the stress of the season. So (laughs) we're going to start with holiday episodes and it's Brit's turn next. So we'll probably, we may or may not do a sidetracks episode. It kind of depends how it shakes out, but we're more likely to do two full episodes and skip a sidetrack in December is I think where we're at. So just so y'all know, But that doesn't mean we won't be watching extra stuff during the holidays. It just means that when we come back for season four, we'll have even more things to talk about. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, uh, so it is my pick. So I really like this movie. I've only seen it once and I saw it in the theaters. But I figured with it being the holiday season, it'd be the perfect time to revisit it. So we are going to be watching Krampus, which is currently streaming on Peacock. If I'm not mistaken, it is directed by the director of Trick or Treat and it also has Tony Collette in it. I'm like, did I dream that? I don't think I dreamed yes. that. Yes. But yeah, Krampus is from 2015 and it's by the same director as Trick or Treat. And it's a Christmas horror film. It's one that we've been holding on to, but it hasn't been streaming anymore. Yeah. But it is. Yay. And I guess because it's getting late, we should start saying our good nights. Yes. Yes. So happy Thanksgiving. If this comes out on Thanksgiving week, if it comes out the week after, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Be safe. It is cold and flu season. So get your boosters when you can. I am still need to get mine, but I am like masking up, washing my hands, taking vitamin C until I can get it. Um, I'm probably going to get it next week, the week of Thanksgiving, because I'll be done with the show that I'm in and I will be able to like not be worried about how I feel. Be safe, be careful out there. I know life can get dangerous and hectic during the holiday season. So stay aware of your surroundings and be safe and be kind to one another. Wash your hands, take your vitamins, hug your fur babies and your real babies, and don't go into creepy basements. But thank you for listening. We love you guys. We hope you have a good holiday season, and we will see you next weekend or week. 
whatever time you listen to it. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys. We appreciate each and every one of you. We love you guys. We hope you're staying safe and healthy. Take care of yourselves and each other. And we just look forward to seeing you next time. Um, same spooky time. Same spooky channel. Stay spooky, Stay y'all. Stay spooky, y'all. Bye. Good night. Or good day. Good morning. Whatever it is. Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.